The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Melissa Lee in for Scott Wapner. Today, another big sell-off on the street. How much bad news has now been baked into this market and how much more pain is ahead for the tech wreck? We'll debate that and the best strategies to protect your portfolio from the market turmoil. Our investment committee today, Bryn Toggington, Courtney Gibson, Steve Weiss, and Joe Terranova. Let's get a check on the markets right now. Major averages extending their losses, the Nasdaq dipping below 12,000 and deep in bear market territory. We're now down more than 3% on the Nasdaq. S&P 500 actually flirted with the 4,000 level earlier in the session. We're now at 4026 or down 2.35%. The Dow Industrial is giving up 500 points right now or 1.5%. Yields hitting its highest level since November 2018, the 10-year sitting at 3.085%. And I guess the question is how much has been priced in, whether it be stronger dollar, whether it be uh, economic slowdown, whether it be a Fed rate hike tightening cycle. Joe Terranova, what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. All of the things that you mentioned, the fundamental contributions to the macro environment, I, I'm not sure how you get any uh, degree of clarity as we move forward here over the coming days, the coming weeks, uh, and really as we move into the heart of the summer. I think the right way to think about the market right now is, is how much speculative risk has been pared back. And, and I think, obviously, this morning, We've seen a very aggressive sell-off in a lot of risk assets where you have not had the correction occur already. Uh, some of the energy equities declining significantly, and you're actually seeing a significant sell-off in crypto. So I think the right way for investors to think about the environment right now is I, I think the re risk to reward setup doesn't suggest that you're going in and you're being a seller because I do think we've pulled back a lot of speculation. I just don't think when you look longer term, you could expect that you're going to gain clarity on the macro. If there's anything that's going to provide a bounce for the market, Melissa, I have to think it is buybacks. And I think because mm -hmm. companies are now exiting the blackout window, having reported their earnings, I mean, companies have to be looking at the valuation, the decline in their stocks and saying, OK, we're buyers here. So I think the setup for this week is one in which at some point you might be able to see a buyback bounce sustainable over the long term. We'll see. But I, I think that probably sets up. If that is the only catalyst in this market, Steve Weiss, is that convincing to you to be buying stock? I mean, they're, they're, Joe is basically saying there, there's no catalyst on the horizon that he can see except for the possibility that companies, even with large buyback plans, will choose to start exercising those buyback plans now. Melissa, I'm still negative. I mean, that's the bottom line. We had a 40-year bull market in bonds. We had an unbelievable bull market in liquidity into the market. I mean, how many people actually in the market now remember when interest rates were normalized, when neutral meant 3 to 5% interest rates, 
instead of zero. So look, you know, it, I, what I just don't understand is how people believe that you can reverse, as I said, what's been a torrent of liquidity for almost 15 years is going to be dissipating uh, in less than six months. So we're just not in a normal environment still. And has the market discounted enough of the bad news? Well, what I'd say is when we stop asking that question, when we stop dipping our toe in the water and say, let's buy a little because in six months we'll be okay. Then the dialogue goes, in a year we'll be okay. In two months you'll look back and regret not buying. When we stop, have, stop having that conversation and realize that the world's just not in a great place, that Putin is still driving up inflation, we haven't even felt the embargo, the global embargo on Russian oil. That's going to drive inflation. It's going to work through the system. And then you've also got a very strong dollar that's going to hit S&P earnings. So, no, we're not at a bottom. No, I wouldn't put money into the market. And I would just stay in cash. And, sure, cash is depleting asset. But what's been depleting more, cash and inflation of 8% or the market coming down at 20% top line and stocks going down 50 to 60 so there's no bottom yet. I still would rather see the term before I start deploying capital. Some professional investors out there cannot be in cash. Let's just make that clear. I mean, everybody right. here on the investment committee knows that. But as an individual investor, you certainly have the choice to do that. Um, Bryn, do you think that we have priced in a lot? I mean, finally, I'm seeing strategists mark down their estimates for S&P 500 earnings. We had Bank of America do that for 2023 earnings, also pointing out that for the S&P 500 so far for 2022, if you take out energy, we've actually seen a decline in profits on the S&P 500. That is how much energy is swinging to the upside because the weighting, obviously, of energy in the S&P 500 is so minuscule, but it's having an outsized impact on that overall figure, which may look okay, but is actually disguising a lot of weakness among corporations, Bryn. Yeah, sure. I mean, if, if you didn't, energy's, even with today's pullback, energy's up about, what, 45% year to date. Every other main asset class is down between six and 25%. So outside of energy and some utilities, there's really been no place to hide. I think though, the playbook you have to look right now is technicals. I mean, you know, Steve walked through a litany of things that are real and that are gonna be with us for a while. And I think that from a catalyst perspective, the buybacks are important to have a buyer, right? Because what you see today are just pure sellers. You see people just selling, whether it's energy, whether it's crypto, you know, whether it's tech or value, everything's getting sold. But I do think you have to take the playbook out of technicals. And, and the one technical analysis that, that I would say is like my fat pitch that I look at in times of risk is looking at the S&P is, Melissa, how many stocks are above their 200-day moving average? And if you go back and look back really to 2009, when, uh, when less than 30% of stocks are trading above that 200-day, that's where things get really interesting. And to give some perspective, right now, we're at about 30%. So to me, we're just starting that threshold. And typically, if you look at in the fourth quarter of 2018, it was only about 13% of stocks were above their 200-day. We're just at 30 right now. And so I think for investors, have some patience. I think we're gonna breach that, but this is where things start getting interesting. This is not a time when you wanna panic because markets are selling off everything, and that's definitely a sign of a bottom. But 
once you get to a bottom, it's not necessarily like we're going to V-shape up to the upside. And I think that's where, you know, Steve is being cautious. I think that's smart. We've been defensive, you know, from an overall positioning. And so I just think everyone needs to understand this is going to take time. And as investors, time is like our, our, our biggest weapon we have right now is time and patience. And people are trying to call bottoms, but I don't think we V off any bottom, regardless of whether it's today or tomorrow or the next day. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're 16 plus percent off of our highs on the S&P 500, Courtney. So we, re- we haven't even seen that 20 percent mark, which would bring us to about 3080 or so. How are you thinking about this market? How are you thinking about, you know, the concept that you can't pick a bottom? you got to have a list. And if you're a long-term investor, you know, this might not be bad. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there. But how, how are you starting to think about approaching this market? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I think everyone in the panel today has made some incredibly valid points. What we're seeing on our desk is actually a bifurcation between kind of our quantitative money managers and Joe, right, kind of along those momentum traders and what they're doing versus our fundamental managers, all of which, by the way, have to be invested. So you made a good point to Steve, and we all know he knows that, you know, everyone can't be in cash. And so we can talk about our personal portfolios. We can talk about um, our client portfolios and where those clients have to be fully invested. They are picking their spots. Now, what's interesting um, today on our desk, we're seeing kind of some of our quantitative money managers that are actually selling, right, two to one, which is something we haven't seen in a while. Um, but again, momentum trades, you see this market down where it is, they're mimicking the market. Simultaneously, we're seeing some long-only asset managers, growth managers, value managers, both buckets, nibbling. And so just as much as you can't pick the top, you cannot pick the bottom, nor are clients trying to do that. But where they are hitting some interesting points in some of the names that we're seeing across both growth and value, we are seeing clients buying into that. But this market's not for the faint of heart, Melissa, and you know that. These clients also on our desk have the ability to buy and hold. They're not day traders. They don't have to turn a profit tomorrow, and they don't need the capital tomorrow. Three to five year time horizons, fortunately, are what a lot of these folks have. And there are some places in here that you should be nibbling if you do believe in the fundamental stories of the names in which you're buying. Yeah. And unless you think perhaps recession plays into it, Steve Weiss, I mean, you can take a look at the market mosaic and put together a story um, in which a recession is the end. And it might be a nightmare as opposed to a fairy tale. But that's a funny. I mean, look at energy stocks. They're they're trading lower today, sharply, as Joe had pointed out, because of what demand destruction in China, but also maybe because um, there's just going to be no demand down the down the road. Financials should be trading higher off of higher rates, but they're not. So, you know, you piece certain things together. The IG, the investment grade uh, index trading lower. I mean, how do you piece these things together, Steve? Well, first of all, let's clear one thing up. It's not only individual personal portfolios that uh, that can be in cash. It's also professional investors. It's hedge funds. And it is some long only. So, yes, most are not the asset allocators. They have no choice. Maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 20%. But hedge funds, I was with, uh, with Rob Citrone, who runs, who's a great hedge fund manager. He was short coming into the market. Now, I wouldn't advocate being short at this point in time. And he covered his shorts. But let's be clear, professionals can be short or in complete cash if they so choose and think that's the best way to be. And it's your point of entry 
into a stock that determines your ultimate gain. Now, in terms of the cross currents, yes, everything fundamentals get thrown out the window. So when you take a look at energy, I've missed it. I've missed it completely, and I'm not about to get in now. But to me, it seems like with Europe just about to embargo oil from Russia and with the EU overall and with China going hands off a little bit with Russia, that you could see a sustainable bid under energy. But let's not forget what always kills them and what's killed energy, what's killed production so far are investors, are institutions saying, pay back, buy some stock back. Pay higher dividends. Don't put it into the ground. Now you're opening that spigot, but it's going to take a while to drill it. In terms of banks, you finally have a steepening yield curve. So banks should do well, except for the fact that the banks that are investment banks, they're still going to have a tough time with equity issuance, which are really fat pitches, fat margins. So, look, until the picture, the clouds start parting and you can have actual return to fundamentals, I just don't think it's worth putting money in the market. Yeah, if you go out three or five years, you'll make money. Of course you will. Markets go up 80% of the time. But keep in mind that it took almost 10 years for the NASDAQ to get back to the pre-2000 levels that we saw. So I think it's a sustainable decline in the markets, and I would just rather be cautious. But it's a great time to go to cash so you can upgrade your portfolio and take the mistakes you may have made in the past. Say, you know what, I'm going to more of a sound investment strategy rather than chasing these so-called unicorns, which don't exist at this point. Let's get the technicals of the market. Bring in Jonathan Krinsky, chief market technician at BTIG. Jonathan, what levels are you looking at at this point? Yeah, so thanks, Melissa. We've been, uh, you know, targeting a sub 4,000 S&P for the last few months. Uh, so we're pretty close there. I think, you know, the odds that it just hits 4,000 exactly and bounces off are pretty low. Um, so below that, 3,900 really represents um, kind of a big area of volume-based support. Most people look at volume on a, on a day-to-day time basis. But if you were to look at it on a price level basis, how much volume trades at each given price level, there's a lot of history at 3,900. So that's kind of been an area below 4,000 that we've been eyeing. Okay, so 3,900. Obviously, Jonathan, there are sectors that have um, been in deep correction mode for much longer than the overall uh, indices. So do you see any subsectors that may have uh, maybe closer to a bottoming out process than maybe the broader indices? Well, typically how corrections unfold is you have some early weak areas of the market and in this cycle it's been some of those high growth tech names um, and then eventually as the as the correction rolls on more and more sectors succumb and i think what the mistake people make is they try too early to buy the weak sectors um, and so it's unlikely that those weak sectors of the market are going to bottom before you know the the generals or the or the defensives kind of finally roll over. And I think we're, you know, we saw a little bit of that last week. We're seeing a little bit today with energy getting hit, but you still have, um, you know, people rotating into consumer staples today. And so ultimately, you know, I think it's a little too early to bottom fish in those beaten down sectors until you finally see those those defensive holdouts roll over. It sounds like that they, that you think that there's very little to bottom fish at this point. I mean, if, if the markets are going to go to 3,900 or around there, are you are you basically saying wait? Yeah, I mean, look, if you know, if we knew exactly the markets would go to 3,900 mm-hmm. and bottom, um, 
you know, then you could make the case that maybe some of those bean down areas are, are starting to get interesting. But we don't know that, you know, we think that 3,900 will be a, a decent target. But, you know, until we actually get there, until we see some of the capitulatory signals. And to be clear, we're seeing early signs of them today. You know, some some things that we've been waiting for. Um, your previous guest mentioned percentage of stocks above the 200 rate. Mm-hmm. So we're getting closer. But, again, you know, it's, it's a little hard to predict what's going to happen once we get there until we actually get there. All right, Jonathan, great to speak with you. Thanks for the levels. Appreciate it. Jonathan Krinsky of BTIG. We should note that the markets are pairing their losses right now. The S&P 500 is now uh, down by 1.89%. When we started the show, it was uh, down more than 2%. Uh, Bryn, you mentioned uh, the percentage of stocks below the 200-day moving average. So I'm wondering what, what you would go first to bottom fish. Would it be technology, areas in technology? So, so... Where I would start, well, first of all, I would, I would wait till it gets below that. I think there's a really great stat, but Bespoke had a great stat that I want to say about 50% of the NASDAQ composite is down 50% or more. And to give some perspective, there's about 2,500 names in the NASDAQ. So it's about 1,250 names are down 50% or more. And a lot of them will just stay down and languish. And I do think you have to get out your 2000-2002 playbook because clearly there was some speculation in a bubble that burst last year with all the Fed liquidity. And to Steve's point, you know, when the NASDAQ hit its highs in 2000, it actually didn't breach those highs again or surpass them until 2015. But there was a long journey where you could have made a lot of money. And so I'm actually looking, I think it's early, I would actually be looking in some of the, you know, high quality tech names. You know, it's interesting, you know, Apple and Microsoft are still holding up really well. So I think to see real capitulation in the NASDAQ, you would need to see those names sell off. But ultimately, what's going to cure inflation and what's going to cure the supply chains? All these things that the Fed has no control, okay, no control over any of this is technology. And so although we're positioned very defensively, have a lot of covered calls, small cap value, you know, things that we'll say are more protective, we still have the cues which are underweight. But longer term, as this overshoots on the downside, I want to go back into tech because I do think the Fed has a, has a limit on how much they can raise rates. And I don't think they get Fed funds above, I, I would bet they don't get it above two until they have to stop. And then all of a sudden, everyone's going to start digging through and looking at these tech names and coming back them. So they're out now, mm-hmm. but they are not down forever. Joe? So I, I just kind of want to collectively respond to everything that I've heard so far. And, and I appreciate everyone, Brit, uh, um, Bryn, Courtney, and, and Steve's comments. But I, I guess what I'm trying to advocate for here, Melissa, and I think this is important, is you know, the, the greatest athletes in the world will tell you in, in the most extreme pressure situations, they slow the game down, and that's how you succeed. I'm acknowledging exactly what Stephen said. I already said at the top of the show, the macro environment, that picture doesn't clear up anytime soon. But there has been a lot of risk that has been paired back within the market. And if you have an investor who's sitting watching us right now, I think it's important to first understand, remain calm, don't panic, Study the portfolio. What's in your portfolio? If in your portfolio you have Peloton, you have Teladoc, you have Roblox, you have Shopify, you have DocuSign, guess what? You have to do something. Those businesses, they need capital to fund their operations. They're going to be a challenged environment. So you have to take action there. But if you're willing to buy a Walmart or a Merck 
or a, a, a United Health or, or a, uh, an Amgen. Those are the type of companies that you want to be buying right here. And I'm also introducing the concept of buybacks this week because I think that's important to understand. I don't want you selling out of stocks where you know companies are going to be coming in this week and buying back aggressively. So it's not a call if this is the market bottom. No one knows if, if this is the market bottom. Just like no one told you it was a market top in January. It's just kind of understanding the environment and having a degree of calm and then reflecting exactly what you have in your portfolio and say, okay, how much risk do I want to carry as we move forward given this environment? And if you're comfortable with it, stay where you are. If you're not, you've got to pair it back. Coming up. Cryptos continue to get crushed. Bitcoin hitting a three-month low. Ether also falling. Insights in the trade from the committee is next. Halftime's back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to Halftime. We are continuing to watch this market sell-off, although we are off the session lows. The S&P 500 at one point was at 4,003. 4, we are now down, we are now down uh, 2%. 4040 is the level there. The Nasdaq Composite down by 2.7%. And cryptos, they are continuing to get crushed in the market sell-off. Bitcoin hitting its lowest level since last July. Kate Rooney has been taking a closer look at the carnage in the space. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, it's been a tough week so far and weekend, really, for crypto. Bitcoin down roughly 50 percent now from its peak in November, dropping below $33,000 this morning. It hasn't been able to decouple from stocks, namely the QQQ, which tracks the Nasdaq 100. And across most time frames at this point, that correlation is roughly a one. And because of that, Fundstrat is now starting to look at its equity research for signs of where Bitcoin is going next. The crypto team there now looking for a bottom around $29,000 and says uh, it's going to be rocky in the near term. They recommend clients buy one to three month puts for some downside protection. Still bullish, though, on the second half 
of this year. And Bitcoin had rallied momentarily last week with stocks that's now looking like a head fake. And uh, Jeff Dorman this morning at ARCA tells me consensus is that Bitcoin is trading like a levered tech stock or a 24-7 volatility index. Others are saying it's also poor investor sentiment, capital outflows, and overall de-risking. There's also been a lack of demand lately across both larger whale wallets and what Glassnode is calling shrimps at this point. So those are the the smaller wallets and a buildup in derivatives markets that we've talked about in prior sell-offs. That doesn't appear to be a big driver this week. Uh, Not the case so far in terms of those cascading liquidations. All of this, though, is causing pain for crypto investors, especially those that are newer to the market. In the past month, another 15 percent of Bitcoin investors fell into an unrealized loss. And in total now, about 40 percent of Bitcoin investors are underwater. Melissa, back to you. Kate, in years past, we saw us always talk about tax loss selling. And I'm wondering if we are talking about that today. Uh, A lot of the cohort that bought Bitcoin and a lot of the crypto were also in the meme stocks and maybe maybe selling Bitcoin to take the loss against some of the other losses. Yeah, that that could be part of it. We've seen it. uh, I mean, if you've got a tax extension, that's often the chatter heading into April. Um, It does seem to be right now more of a correlation to tech stocks and more of people just de-risking overall. But there are certain mechanisms, like you mentioned, uh, to make sure if you have losses in crypto, you can write that off. And it does end up being sort of a tax dynamic. It's not something I'm necessarily hearing this week. It seems to be uh, just more capitulation in crypto markets. And a lot of um, it's become more mainstream. So some of the, the bigger institutional investors have now gotten involved. And when they are looking to take risk off the table, it tends to be one of the first places that they look to sell. And not to mention, it's open on the weekends and 24-7. Yep. Uh, Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. All right. So we've got an interesting dynamic amongst the investment committee members today. Bryn owns GBTC, the Grayscale Bitcoin Investment Trust. And Steve Weiss has shorted it. So, Steve Weiss, I'll go to you first. (laughs) Why did you enter this new short? Well, because, look, Bitcoin is uh, is an asset class. It's undeniable. But it's a risk asset class. And I just don't see the utility. And, you know, I've taken the occasion to meet with some dyed-in-the-wall professional Bitcoin investors. And I still don't know what a store of value means. Uh, nobody can really explain it to me. What is it exactly? And that's the utility of it. It's not a currency. It's years and years. As a matter of fact, it's ever away from being a currency because of the volatility. No sovereign's going to allow it to be a currency. So what do you use it for? Now, let's distinguish that from, from blockchain technology, which I do believe has a lot of utility, and we haven't even seen what it could do. But for Bitcoin, look, I look at hedge funds, and when you start to see their performance go down, uh, then you have a run in the bank. And I've seen plenty of hedge funds where they started out as a $200 million asset manager, and then everybody who came in who got them to the $4 billion never made money, and eventually they go out of business. So that may be what happens here. It's not going out of business, but I think it continues to go lower as risk comes off. And I just, uh, I'd rather be short that than be short a stock. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm short Bitcoin. Brian, um, I guess you like Bitcoin. You're in GBTC, but there's also another dynamic with the GBTC because it, it is trading at a discount to net asset value. So it's underperforming the actual Bitcoin if you own GBTC versus Bitcoin. So um, how long have you been in it and do you stick with it here? Yeah, so we, we as a firm got into blockchain um, in earnest actually in, in, in December of 2020. 
And so we got into GBTC, you know, once it started trading around a 15% discount, it started to get interesting. And so I think it's probably, a, I haven't looked at it today, maybe like a 30% discount. I think ultimately there's a decent probability that it turns into an ETF and then you would have that, that, that delta collapse. I think though where, where, where Steve's shorting it, I can totally understand. You have to understand crypto, not necessarily in the US, but the international exchanges are incredibly levered. There's a bunch of levered leverage. When that's coming out, you're gonna get extremes to the other side. And so I view blockchain and crypto, you know, GBTC obviously at a discount to Bitcoin, which to me is a great long-term trade uh, as a ultra, ultra long duration risk asset. And what does no one want to own right now? I mean, outside of biotech, I think crypto can't be any longer duration than that. And so I totally <laughs> understand why he short the position. My positioning, though, is longer term. And, and I will say for those investors, we have sized this right, because if half your portfolio is in crypto, you need to have a discussion with yourself. If, you know, one to five to 10 percent is in is in crypto and blockchain, that's a different discussion. And so okay. I think it's about sizing and time horizon. In, in, in investing, you know, diversified across across blockchain and crypto. Let's let's be clear. What is ultra long duration? Is that within our lifetimes, Brian, or is it? I mean, what's the? Yeah, yeah. I would just here? what I mean. I mean, like like for for example, if you want to look at, you know, a company that has no 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 earnings right now, that's going to be a long duration. But but blockchain, these companies like Bitcoin doesn't have earnings. And so where we're really excited about it is these are technologies. And it all started with Bitcoin and that's and that's where people continue to Bitcoin because Steve's right. It really doesn't do anything. Right? The technology is there to have a medium of exchange. I don't for a minute think that we are going to have the US dollar flip or make countries flip right. to we are having Bitcoin. trouble with Bryn's feed, so we'll try and get that straightened like out. That. In the meantime, we are going to Take a quick break here. Straight ahead, the ETFs to watch amid the sell-off halftime. Be right back. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. What do you do when you're in a downtrending market but still want to stay invested? When traders are confused about fundamentals and technicals, they often turn to momentum investing. Let's talk to someone who's using baskets of ETFs to do just that. Meb Faber is CIO of Cambria Investments and runs the, the Cambria Global Momentum ETF. That's an actively managed fund that selects approximately 17 ETFs across several asset classes based on price momentum. Meb, thanks for joining us. Your Global Momentum ETF is one of the big winners in ETFs this year. It's up 6%. S&P's down 14%. Tell us, what does it own briefly, and how often does this rebalance? Uh, hey, Bob, great to be here. Look, this fund can go anywhere. It's an old-school, long-term trend-following fund, and that means it can be anywhere from 100% invested in stocks in the U.S. It could be 100% in foreign bonds, real estate, commodities, anything. And a lot of the times, it looks like a normal globally diversified portfolio could go up most of the time. Right now, it's a big outlier. Over the last year or so, it's been saying a lot of the commodity real assets are the place to be as inflation has ticked up. It was originally in energy and then added ags, base metal. Right now, the portfolio is yep. very atypical. It is the vast majority of the portfolio is in real assets and commodities and the like. That's also saying a lot of the other assets don't look good either. I mean, here we are with one of the worst starts ever yep. for 60-40 in the U.S. Um, and so it's saying, whether it's just for now or, or for longer, that uh, you need yep. some real asset exposure in your portfolio, which most people don't yep. have. Right. I know you rebalance monthly here. And so right now the fundamentals are poor. The technicals are not giving a clear signal for a bottom. So this ETF essentially stays with whatever is working. And you're essentially a commodity fund right now. Uh, is there any sign that what's working is going to be different a month from now? This isn't a crystal ball into what the next rotation will look like, is it? People assume that to be a trend follower, you have to be like a ninja darting in and out of markets. But this is a long-term trend-following fund. If you remember the last commodity super cycle, it lasted for almost a decade. But what it's also saying is the opportunity set is not U.S. stocks and bonds. U.S. stocks right now are in a really dark place, right? They're expensive still and in a downtrend. And what's unique about this year is bonds are not helping. And most investors assume that 60-40 is a safe place to be. And they forget that 60-40 can get much worse. And it is, has in the past gone down 60% yeah. during the Great Depression. So having this exposure, if inflation stays, who knows if it doesn't, we may rotate back into bonds next month. Have me back on in a couple months. We'll see where we are. Yeah. But for now, it's saying the commodities are the place to be. All right. Everybody's going to – I'm going to ask everyone to join us on ETF Edge because we're going to get into the whole 60-40 thing. This is going to be 1 p.m. Eastern time. We'll take a closer look at other trend-following techniques with MEB, including using put options in an ETF portfolio. Also joining us, Tom Leiden from ETF Trends, recently back from his – successful ETF conference in Miami Beach. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime. Back right after this.
Here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Nationwide protests intensifying over the weekend in response to the potential reversal of Roe versus Wade, this time gathering outside the homes of conservative Supreme Court justices Brett Kavanaugh and John Roberts with plans to demonstrate outside Justice Alito's home this evening. This comes after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that a federal abortion ban is, quote, possible if Republicans retake control of Washington. But he did add that it is too premature to have that discussion. In-depth analysis on that and more tonight. News at 7 p.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Meantime, First Lady Jill Biden spending Mother's Day with Ukraine's First Lady, Olena Zelenska, in a secretive visit to Western Ukraine. The First Lady saying she called President Biden after the visit to advocate for America's continued support of the country. Dr. Biden's trip was the first time a sitting First Lady was visited, has visited a war zone alone since Laura Bush traveled to Afghanistan in 2008. And the summer blockbuster is back with Disney's Doctor Strange and the Mulliverse of Madness leading the weekend box office, raking in $450 million in its opening weekend. The latest Marvel movie posted the 11th best domestic opening of all time. The film's success is a good sign for Hollywood, which does rely heavily on the upcoming summer season. Melissa? Thank you, Seema Modi. Let's take a look at energy. Leading the market lower today, it is on pace for its worst day in two months. Hedge fund investors Dan Loeb uh, making some moves in the sector. Leslie Pickers following the money. Leslie. Hey, Mel. Yeah, while lower today, energy stocks comprise some of the key winners for third point during the first quarter uh, of 2022. According to Dan Loeb's recent investor letter obtained by CNBC, Shell and EQT were two of its five best performers for the quarter. Loeb wrote that beginning with its investment in Shell last fall, the firm has gone on to initiate opportunities in oil and nat gas companies, as well as materials companies that would benefit from inflation and supply chain shortages. And in Shell specifically, Loeb says the firm has continued to add to its position, which stood at $750 million last year. Loeb wrote in this recent letter that his team has been engaged with management, board members, and other shareholders, discussions he described as, quote, constructive. He says that the firm has, quote, reiterated its view that Shell's portfolio of disparate businesses ranging from deep water oil to wind farms to gas stations to chemical plants is confusing and unmanageable. Loeb is not alone, though, in among hedge fund managers and his bullishness on energy. In a Goldman Sachs Prime brokerage note out this morning, the firm says that hedge funds bought energy stocks at the fastest pace last week in over two years. Energy now makes up 4.4% of overall U.S. net exposure for hedge funds, more than double where it was just at the start of the year. So perhaps they're the ones maybe feeling a bit of that pain, at least on paper today. Yeah. Well, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. So a lot of these positions are relatively new positions, Joe, so they might have missed out on the, on the big run. Um, you own EOG and Pioneer Natural. Do you think that there's still more upside here overall for the sector? In the near term, I think energy equities will be under pressure. And I think it is because exactly uh, what, what Leslie just said, you had a lot of people that have concentrated in the direction of energy equities as the rest of the S&P complex has underperformed. So that positioning is going to begin to get paired back, and that's going to place some pressure in the near term on energy equities. A lot of it correlates to what we're seeing in the spot price of oil and the spot price of natural gas. Spot price of natural gas fell slightly short of $9 last week. It's quickly, uh, quickly reversed, rather, and it's now trading at $7.50. So 
the announcements uh, over the, in the last 24 hours regarding Saudi Arabia lowering the price of oil, the EU kind of softening on the sanctions uh, surrounding Russia, th that, that's going to pr uh, create an environment here in the near term where I think there's going to be pressure on oil and energy equities. That being said, longer term, energy equities, you still have a bullish structure that is in place. These uh, managements are prioritizing shareholder return, whether it's buying back shares or dividend growth. And that's a reason why, if you're a long-term investor, make sure that you've got at least a market weight allocation to energy relative to the S&P. Burton, you've got a lot of exposure, XLE, XOP, Viper Energy. Um, are, are you inclined to add on these pullbacks? Yeah, definitely, definitely inclined to add. And I think the epitome to sum up the energy landscape, which I think Joe walked through so well, if you look at Devon's earnings last week, you know, Devon has a free cash, free cash flow yield of around 15 to 16% versus the S&P has five. Devon has a dividend yield of 8% versus the S&P at one and a half. And I still think this asset class is only 4.4% of the S&P. It's still very uh, under-owned. You know, the ESG bullies are not letting a lot of people buy it. And I still think this has long, long, um, many, many quarters and years to go of being a good asset class to own. All right. We have got a lot of stocks hitting new lows in today's session. We'll discuss if any of them are worth buying right now. Plus, during May, we're celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, featuring some of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here's CNBC talent producer Jeanette Chin. I'm the daughter and granddaughter of Chinese Americans. And growing up, my grandfather took care of me while my parents went to work. And he is the biggest influence in my life to become a journalist. He told me stories of coming to America and traveling by train to different cities looking for work. And I knew that by becoming a journalist, I would be able to see different parts of the country and meet different people, just like my grandfather. And here at CNBC, I get to meet people who make history on a daily basis. And for me, that is a dream come true. And I think my grandfather would be very proud. A number of stocks owned by members of the Investment Committee are hitting new 52-week lows today, including Amazon, PayPal, Interactive Brokers, and Disney. Jim Cramer's charitable trust just bought some more Disney on this recent dip, by the way. And Courtney, this is one that you own. It's interesting because, it, you know, it's got the reopening side of the business. But then it's got the streaming side of the business and all the streamers are getting beaten. They are, Melissa. And I think that the market is focused so much on that growth opportunity with streaming with Disney and not incorrectly. I mean, Disney has done very well in that space, but they forget about something very, very critical, which is that this is a diversified business with an incredible management team. And candidly, Melissa, you have you have little ones. Happy belated Mother's Day, by the way. You know what Disney means in your household just as much as it is in mine. So I think we're, we saw some dips. I also, like Mr. Kramer, bought some more Disney into my portfolio. It's a name that you're not going to lose for the long term in this name. And as a matter of fact, even in the short term, I think we're going to see some very, very pleasant surprises as we continue this reopening trade, as China continues to reopen. And again, um, as we also see how much streaming will remain as a part of, of our daily lives. I'm not saying Netflix is ever going to get back to 700. Not that you asked me that, but I will tell you <laughs> Disney will go to and through its most recent 52-week high. All right, let's go to Weiss here. XPO Logistics, the lowest since October of 20. 
20. The CEO, by the way, will be with Jim tonight on Mad Money. Steve Weiss, what would you ask him? Well, I wouldn't ask him anything because I talk to the management all the time. <laughs> ah. But there, 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 <laughs> Name there, drop. There, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And you get the assist. Bell for that name drop, so thank you. Uh, here's what I'd say. Look, they're going to spin off the most advanced uh, LTL freight booking business in the industry towards the end of the year, so there's tremendous value there. It's trading lower, as is the rest of the market. As I mentioned, this is where fundamentals are obscured uh, by the market. GXO, which is another Brad Jacobs company, he's the chairman of that and the founder, that was spun out from XPO, reported great earnings last week, 20% growth. Uh, and guess what? Stock traded up, only green stock on the day the market really took the big dump, mm -hmm. and now it's lower again. So, uh, look, nothing's going to happen short term. They'll report tonight. I think they'll beat tonight, but I just don't want the stock to react positively except for a momentary move. But I doubt Brad would be coming on. Jim's show to say, hey, we screwed the pooch. So I think we'll be before. <laughs> All right. I'm um, just trying to liven it up a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. You always just sprinkle in a screw the pooch and that just party time. All right. Uber yeah, shares <laughs> down along with the broader sell off. What its CEO told the staff ahead of its annual shareholders meeting later today. Courtney owns a stock. Her take is next in halftime. Uber CEO telling staff the company is slashing costs and treating hiring as a privilege. Shares dropping in the back of the news and ahead of Uber's shareholder meeting, the annual one, later today. Uh, it's down 7.5%. Courtney, you own it. Are you sticking by it? Not only am I sticking by it, Melissa, I'm, I'm buying more. I'm actually shocked that it's down here. You finally have a CEO that understands the assignment, right? Taking that multi-trillion dollar total addressable market, or the TAM, and saying, it's all great and fine and dandy that we can address this market, but we have to create profit. And he said it. He was very intentional about what he said and how he was going to achieve it. That's a company you do want to get behind, especially when they own the space like they do. I don't believe that there's competition for Uber, especially given the diversification of the business model, the fact that they encapsulate the client both with delivery and mobility. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer. I'm a, a consumer of the product and a CEO, like I said, that gets behind um, the profitability metrics is, is incredible as a shareholder. All right. Uh, by the way, I just want to alert you to the markets. We're heading back towards lows of the session. The S&P is now down to 4018. That's our level there, down 2.6 percent. And the Nasdaq is seeing a 3.4 percent loss at this time. we got the final trades next on the Halftime Report. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the Investment Committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now.
Let's look at the markets once again. Uh, the Dow is down by 522 points or 1.6 percent. S&P 500, 4016, down 2.6 percent. NASDAQ Composite down 3.41 percent. NASDAQ 100, we should note, outperforming just a touch. So it's a broader base sell-off on the NASDAQ Composite, not, not just the big cap tech stocks. Be sure to tune in at 5 o'clock tonight from Fast Money. Your very own Bitcoin baller Brian Kelly will be with us to talk all about the crypto collapse and where to go from here. What does this mean um, for Bitcoin and a lot of the other uh, altcoins out there. Meantime, here on the Halftime Report, let's wrap up with the final trades. Bryn Talkington, what do you say? Um, Jeppy, if you want to upgrade your portfolio, defensive strategy, equal weight strategy, high quality names, call premiums, distributable yield around 10% to write out the volatility. Courtney Gibson. I'm going with Starbucks, Melissa. I think the reopening with China as well as the fact that Howard Schultz wastes no time getting us back to basics. I think this is one where you get in here down 25 plus percent. Joe T. You mentioned interactive brokers before. I'll raise my hand. Just like the viewers, I'm losing money right now. I own the position. I'm going to put a stop in below 50. It's probably given me too much of a loss, more than I wanted to incur. I'm going to have to cut that loss below 50. YC. I'm doubling down, shorting Bitcoin GBTC. <laughs> You're just doing that to be provocative. Ooh. All right. That does it for us here on the Half Hour Report. I will see you tonight on Fast. The exchange with Kelly Evans begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.